All right, well, let's stand together and let's take our songbook and turn to 499. 499, bringing in the sheaves. I got that. over there, yes, ma'am. Uh, yeah, it's your, your says 506, the first one. Oh, I changed it. I didn't change it on your paper. Okay. The rest of them are right. I'll find them as we go. The rest of them are right. <clears throat> 499, bringing in the sheaves. Good evening, Richard. <laughs> Sowing in the morning, sowing seeds of kindness, sowing in the noontide and the dewy eve. Waiting for the harvest and the time of reaping, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheep, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep. Sowing in the sunshine, sowing in the shadows, fearing neither clouds nor winter's chilling breeze. By and by the harvest and the labor ended, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep. Bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep. Sowing forth with weeping, sowing for the master, though the law sustained our spirit often grieves. When our weeping's over, he will bid us welcome. We shall come rejoicing. Bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep. Amen. Praise God. I tell you what, he'd like it if we do that to him too. Bring in the sheep, amen. That's bringing them out from the fields of sin and bringing them into the house of God. Amen. That's what we need to be about doing as believers, is trying to win folks to Jesus and get them to the house of God. Amen. Prayer request tonight. We got anybody? Dan, I'm glad you're up and among us, brother. I'll be honest. I've got, scared me a little. You know they have a bomb threat? I heard that. They come in there, three nurses come in there my shirt on and my pants on. Yeah. Put me in an ambulance and about where five other people went over there and took Christ. <laughs> <laughs> you saw that wild woolly country in Oklahoma over there. Oh, yeah. All kinds of things happened over there. I don't know where it's at, but I read somewhere today that there was several people in the sheriff's department in one town's over there that's sitting talking about putting people six feet under. Crazy things going over these days. But, but anyway... Praise God, you're all right and back here with us. Amen. I'm glad, glad that you, glad that you're standing up. Amen. All right. Amen. Sound, sound like a plan. <laughs> Other prayer requests besides Dan's ten thousand dollar bill with you. <laughs> Woo. 
Right. Right. Anybody else? Any others? Yeah. Right. Well, pray that they find some godly people to fill those positions. All right. Well, let's remember all those among us that are walking wounded. We certainly got quite a few. Uh, yeah, Scott. Scott's doing better today, I guess. He, he, was, doing, he was doing better yesterday. But. Yeah, that was yeah that was this morning. That was this morning. Well, praise the Lord. I'm glad he got a sense of humor anyway. Uh, as far as I know, you know, Shirley mentioned that they were going to look at going back. She was seeing a specialist that said maybe some of the nerves had gotten mixed up or jumbled up or something. They were going to look at going back in and straighten the nerves out or whatever. So I don't know. I'm not sure when that appointment was, where they were going to look at that, but... Do what? Not yet, but it's coming up. It's pretty soon, I think. Uh, praying about that appointment. Also, Cindy, uh, I can't remember if it was tomorrow that she's supposed to have a procedure done. I know it was coming up. No, I was thinking it was on a, on a uh, Thursday. Uh huh. Yeah, Donnie's wife, Cindy. Donnie, little Donnie's mom. Yeah, but she's supposed to have a procedure done. So let's remember her in prayer as well. And I got a couple of other unspoken we need to we need to pray about that God knows what they are. Pray keep praying for Joanne, her keep getting better and her arms feel better. Uh, better. They still hurt. They were yes, the doctor's okay. mom. Okay. We're gonna make it. And Charlotte Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, like I said, we've got a, just got a number of people that are dealing with all kinds of ailments. So let's just pray God meets those needs and, and uh, like I said, all the unspoken requests as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Let's ask God to meet with us. Robert, lead us in prayer. Amen. You can be seated.
whatever meaneth me. Amen. Praise God for that. I thank God I serve a whosoever will God. Amen. 477. 477. One more song tonight. I hope it's built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking fast. All other ground is sinking fast. When darkness fails his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His hope is covered, not his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Rest in his righteousness alone, laws left to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen. Praise God. I'm thankful that Jesus is enough. Amen? I'm thankful. I, you know, I remember what John the Baptist said in his moment of doubt. Do you? You remember John the Baptist when he had a moment of doubt? He said, are you the one we're looking for or should we look for another? I'm thankful I got my mind settled on Jesus. I'm thankful my heart is settled on Jesus. I'm thankful tonight that Jesus is my solid rock and he don't move. Amen. Sister, I sure thank you for playing even though you don't feel good. I enjoyed it. Well, we're happy to deal with you, sister. I'm thankful for somebody who I'm thankful for somebody who feel good. Amen. I'm thankful for somebody who'll keep going when when they don't feel like it. Praise the Lord. All right, take your Bible, turn to chapter 14 of Proverbs tonight, chapter 14, and uh, I don't think you probably noticed, but we're going in seven-verse increments through this chapter because there's 35 of them. Chapter 14, chapter 14. Don't seem like we've been through 14 chapters to me, but we certainly have. It may seem like it to you, but... (laughs) But it really doesn't to me. We're almost halfway through this book. Almost, 31 chapters. Praise God, we're going to look at seven verses tonight. Let me find my way over there in my notes. 
me just a moment. Proverbs chapter 14 tonight, verse 22 through 28. I'll just go ahead and pray, and we'll just get right in. We won't have to. We won't read first. We'll just read as we go. So let's go to the Lord tonight in word of prayer and ask him to meet with us. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you so much. Lord, I'm so thankful, and I'm grateful for all that you've blessed me with and all you've given me. Lord, I'm, I'm a wealthy man, not by this world standards, but, Lord, I'm wealthy because you've been so good to me and you've blessed me in so many ways. Lord, I may, again, I may not have this world wealth, but what I've got came from you, and that's what makes it all so worthwhile. I thank you for my church tonight. Thank you for these who faithfully come to the house of God. Time and time again, Lord, I pray for those, Lord, that aren't here tonight. Pray, Lord, for those that are listening in. Lord, it's so good when we get together in fellowship. I realize there's many people that listen, Lord, that are within driving distance, Lord, that could be here, and we want to encourage them to come, Lord, to fellowship and be a part of things. Lord, I I just ask you, please, to help them to understand we can't support a church by watching it online. We need people in the seats. Lord, we pray for them. And, Lord God, we pray for those who are thinking about visiting. We, Lord, we, we ask you to put it on their hearts to, to try us out in person and see what they think about us. Father, I pray tonight you meet with us. Holy Spirit of God, I pray, Lord, that you pour yourself out here on us and among us. Lord, open our understanding. Help us to receive from the Word of God tonight. Give us these timeless truths, Lord, that we need as we face a world full of uncertainty and, Lord, a world full of troubles. We need your wisdom. We need, Lord, uh, reminders to be faithful, Lord, to stay by the things we know are true as we go through these uncertain days. So, Father, we just pray now, the Holy Spirit of God, open our understanding and lead us into the truth, and we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it, Jesus, because it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's get right on into it. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 22 it says, do they not err that devise evil, but mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. Okay, so you've got two different thoughts. You've got, you've got those that devise evil, and you've got those that devise good. Those are people making plans for their life. And, and what this proverb is about, it's about consequences. All right? And it draws a contra- contrast between planning evil and planning good. You know, and... Again, we're talking about plans. We're talking about talking about the future. Talking about what you what you plan to do. Life's a journey, you know. It, it really is. And and the person who plots evil deeds, they're like somebody who set out on a journey, but man, they got on the wrong road. And they're and and for whatever reason, uh, they they've chosen the wrong things in life, and and they're just they're just planning out more of the wrong choices. And and you know. That person doesn't have any. That person doesn't have a governor in charge of their life. God's not the governor of their life. God's not the one who has. You know, let me just say this to you: If you're a child of God, God ought to have veto power in your life. God, ought, the Holy Spirit, ought to have the power to, to just when you're trying to do something, touch on your spirit, and you know good and well you, that's the wrong decision. Shut her down. Let God have veto power. If you're, because you know what, that's the Spirit of God saying you're making a wrong choice, going in the wrong direction. Don't do it. I can't tell you how many times in my life I, I, that I have changed direction, changed course because God was shutting the door, and I didn't try to kick it open because I knew once God shuts it, there ain't no point in trying to open it. You need to let God guide you instead of trying to guide your own life because you don't know where you're going. You don't know what you're doing. And, uh, again, 
And so when a person doesn't have God in charge of their life, you don't have any real plan. You might think you do, but you really don't have a real plan. And you're, Even though in your mind you think you've plotted out what you're going to do, you're really just wandering aimlessly because, again, you're not in control. We're fools to think we're in control of our own life. Everything that happens to our life, again, we're, we're reacting to outside circumstances. You, and I know somebody say, well, I, I make my own circumstances. Uh, uh, you, you can do that to a certain extent, but God's ultimately in control, and he's the one who's going to – I mean, he's the one who, who determines what the circumstances are. It's, it's not – it's not going to be you making that, that determination, but the, the road you take is going to determine a lot of those circumstances. And that road, again, it comes down to whether or not you want to do it God's way or whether or not you want to do it your own way. And, uh, you know, the road your own, is, again, if you, don't, if you take the wrong road, it, it's going to lead to danger. There ain't no denying that because, again, you don't have the protection of God in your life. And he says, do they not err? They make a terrible decision when they, when they choose to go their own way. They make a terrible decision that an evil man's life will cause his death. Again, you say, well, everybody's life going to cause their death. Well, but it's the things that you do in your life that's going to speed that death up and cause it to happen sooner. This evil life is going to ultimately take this man to hell. And, you know, some people are living for this world. They're living for right now. And they'll do whatever they got to to have whatever they want to have right now. And, you know, we see people that, that, that live wickedly, and, and a lot of them, boy, they got all kind of money. I mean, they got all kinds of things, and they can do anything they want to do. And, they, you know, and, and I know some people look around and say, well, I don't know why anybody want to be a Christian because, you know, so many other people, man, they just prosper, and they got all this power and all this money and all these things. And, and most Christians I know, ain't, they, cut, they ain't built like that. Most of them just trying to make it. You know, and somebody might step back and say, well, why? That don't make sense. Why would anybody want to be a Christian if you, you know, if you couldn't just do what you wanted to to get ahead? Well, you know, again, that evil man, their plan might might bring him money, but in the end he's going to lose everything, not just his money. And I, and, and I know you know as well as I do that, again, that they don't put you all behind horses. They don't. You know, you don't forward your bank account to afterlife. Once you're dead, it's over with, and it's somebody else's stuff. Usually the government's going to get most of it, and, and the rest of it the kids are going to fight over and get mad at each other over. So really and truly, I mean, you're going to lose everything, but that's not even what's important. What you're really going to lose is the soul. What you really lose is the eternity. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23 through 25, he said unto them, to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That don't sound like somebody who's trying to get everything the world's got. That's not like somebody with a priorities in, in line with the Lord rather than the world. Taking up the cross means making sacrifices, means saying no to yourself. That means following Christ and, and, and trying to please him, trying to do his will, trying to follow his commandments trying to honor the things he's told us to do as believers and trust in God for power to do those things and trust in him to, to open doors for you and make things happen for you. Trust in him and his timing, not your own. I mean, listen, that's what Christ is talking about there, taking up your cross daily and follow him. If we're following him, guess whose schedule we're on? That's what people don't think about a lot. If I'm following God, I move when he moves, I stop when he stops. 
I'm not in any hurry because God's not in any hurry. Most people don't think like that. Can't hurt me. Can't hurt me. God will be dead. God will be dead. God moves slow. God moves methodically. You know, again, Christ says, take up your cross daily and follow me. So you, can, you don't get in a hurry and try to outrun God. And, again, you don't do it your way because your way is the wrong way. And your way is only going to lead problems. But Christ said, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. You try to you try to make the most out of your life. And, so, and somebody asked me this just yesterday, the day before. What does this verse mean? Whosoever shall lose his life, whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. It doesn't really make sense. You just read it. If you don't know what, if you ain't, you ain't got any spiritual discernment about you, it, it, it's a head scratcher. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Well, that don't make sense. If I save my life, how do I lose it? But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, oh, there we go, the same shall save it. So how do we lose our life for his sake? Well, that means what I was going to do, we scrap those plans because my plans mean nothing compared to God's plans. So if I lose my life for his sake, that means that don't mean I die. It's mean my plans went out the window. And now it's what God wants rather than what Brandon wanted. The Bible says that if I do that, then I'm really saving my life because then my life's worth something. Because if I just do whatever I want, how I want to do it, without, and, and say forget what God wants, and I, I know that maybe my words don't say that, but maybe my actions do if I live my life for me. No, no Christian probably is going to stand up and say, I don't care what God wants me to do with my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. No, you're not going to stand up and do that. You'll just do it without saying anything. You do it quietly. Um, and the Bible says you, you end up losing when you do that because you're not doing the will of God. But if you give it to God and let him take control of it and you let him have veto power, you let him let Him be the decider, the Bible says you'll save it and it'll be worth something in the end. But what is a man advantage? What good is it if he gain the whole world and loses himself or be cast away? What What good is it? There's no good in throwing away and throwing away a chance to, to lay reward up in heaven. Speaking of that, I talked to my good friend Leo Lytle the other day. He called me. We're on their way back from, from uh, Tahlequah, Oklahoma, I think, somewhere up in there. I don't remember where they were at. but They'd been up there at a week-long revival meeting. They'd seen 26 saved in a revival meeting, I think. But they, uh, they'd seen a whole bunch saved on the way up there on the way back down. And it's just like, you know, he, he's called me. He said, I just want to thank you for them New Testaments that y'all are sending he said, we're putting them in the hands. People sure are glad to get them. He said, I'll take that dollar bill that I use in my presentation, and I stick it right in there in John 3, 16, and I hand it to him. I said, hey, I write their birth, that spiritual birthday. Don't just stick it in there. I told him, I said, boy, you're just stacking, you're just stacking them awards, ain't you? He said, no, brother, we don't look at it like I said, I know you don't look at it like that, brother. I know that ain't why you're doing it. You're doing it for the Lord, but I said, brother, you're just stacking it high in heaven. I mean, good night, man. That's what he does every day. Every chance he gets, he's out trying to win people into the kingdom of God. He's out trying to get somebody in before it's too late, before they end up in the flames of hell. He's out doing God's work, and and he's just stacking them rewards. And that's what Jesus is talking about. If a man gained the whole world and lose himself, I mean, what what does he gain? I mean, he had the opportunity to use his life for God. He had the opportunity. She had the opportunity to be more than we are, to burn bright for Christ's sake, and we settled to be a little dim bulb. It just don't make no sense. But a person who makes a good plan is like a traveler on the right road. I mean, you know, if you're on the right road, you're going to reach your destination. If you're on the right road, you're going to achieve good things, you know. I mean, there'll be love in your life. There'll be truth in your life. You'll have the things in life that you 
that you that you sought for versus all these empty things that don't satisfy in the long run at all. I can tell you right now, I'd a whole lot rather have got what God has for me than to have what I can get my hands on myself. Amen. I can tell you right now, I, if I if if I could if I could have anything and everything I wanted tomorrow, and I feel a storehouse full of it. I just end up walking around the storehouse feeling empty when it's all said and done because things don't make you happy. But I can tell you right now, a life of God sure will. Verse, verse 23. Verse 23. In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. And that word penury means poverty. In all labor there is profit, but, with, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to poverty. This proverb, it's contrasting hard work with just being a motor mouth, standing around talking. I saw an ad the other day. It was somewhere down around Lake Fork. It was somebody said they're looking for somebody that that doesn't have constant car trouble and can work and talk at the same time. I can't remember what all it was. They were just trying to find somebody that ain't like everybody today that just won't stand around and do nothing all day and look at their phone because evidently that's what they keep running into. But this this verse is kind of maybe not looking at your phone, but just standing around jacking your jaws all day long. Uh, you know, I've been around people like that. They don't ever do nothing. They just want to talk about it, but they don't do nothing. And you know, I'm pretty good at that. I'm pretty good at making plans, and, I, and, and then in the end, it don't happen. But but you know, some people that's all they ever do is just talk. You know, and in the end, the best plan is only words when it comes right down to it. Talk is cheap, and only action brings a profit. When you put feet to what you're saying, that's the only time it's ever going to amount to anything. And, I mean, there's words that benefit people for sure. There's words that help people. But but this proverb is not about those kind of words. This proverb is about just empty talk, just a bunch of jibber-jabber. You know, like I said, words alone don't get things done. Only work brings success. For For example... You know, we can we can talk like we're doing tonight about reaching a lost around us. We can wish for this church to grow all we want to, but unless we actually start approaching people with the gospel, we're just we're just talking, and ain't nothing gonna happen. And and it's gonna take it's gonna take all of us taking an interest in somebody outside this church with the gospel. And, and I mean, and I, and I still I tell Brother Byron this Sunday, you know, you just imagine if everybody in this church prayed and started praying, Lord, show me one person to talk to that I can try to get to come to this church. Let me talk to the Lord, just put one person in front of me and say, that's the person I want you to go and try to win to Jesus. That's the person I want you to go and talk to and try to get to come to church with you, whatever it may be. But try to try to bring one person. If we did that, we'd double in size. You did that twice, we'd triple in size. If we got them all. You said, we don't get them all. Well, what if we got half of them? What if we got third of them? We don't do nothing. You know, somebody said one time, it don't cost no more to shoot at eagles than it does at skunks. It takes the same amount of ammo. So aim high. Might as well. Amen. But anyway, let's keep going. Verse 24. Verse 24. The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. The crown of the wise is their riches. Okay, so that's their reward. But the foolishness of the fools is folly. This verse is contrasting wisdom and folly by comparison the by comparing the reward of the wise with the emptiness of the foolish. 
and it gives us the metaphor of a crown. This is the crown of the wise. And, I mean, you know, that works with material things. Crown of the wise is the riches. You know, the rich man, he says, well, look at the nice house I got. Look at the nice vehicle I got. Look at all the nice things I got. So that, in, in a sense, that's his crown. But I take this to uh, not not be necessarily looking at material things, but looking at spiritual things. When it says the crown of the wise is their riches, well, the Bible talks about crowns, and we're talking about we're going to talk about that Sunday. We're going to be on the on the judgment seat of Christ. Those crowns, those are things to be won by serving the Lord and living the kind of life that God wants us to live, and doing the things, obeying Him, and keeping His commandments, and and, and and winning people to Jesus. All those things are all part of crowns that can be won for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, again, the crown of the wise is their riches. I can promise you when we stand before Jesus at the end of this life, and every single one of us will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of this life, as soon as we leave this earth and head for heaven, we're going to appear before that judgment seat of Christ. I know I'm getting ahead and preaching my Sunday message, but I'm thinking some anything you don't know already. So I'm going to risk it. But what I'm trying to say is the crown of the wise is their riches. When you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ on that day, it ain't going to matter to you or the Lord or anybody else how much money you had in the bank. It ain't going to make no difference how much property you owned in your time. It ain't going to make no difference how many friends you had on Facebook. It ain't going to make no difference, uh, you know, again, how good of a job you had or how popular you were in high school. None of those things are going to matter to the Lord, nor to you on that day. The only thing that's going to matter are the crowns that you will or will not receive because of your service or lack thereof to Jesus. And the Bible says the crown of the wise is their riches. So wise, the Bible says, he that, you know, what does it say about the wise? It says, they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So the wise are those who tell people about Jesus and his salvation, and the Bible says they're crowns for that. And that's, that's the riches. And I guarantee you, when you stand before the Lord and he hands you those crowns for having served him, you talk about riches. To have something to throw back at his feet, that's riches. Okay? But on the other hand, stupidity only yields stupidity and nothing else. You don't get nothing else from being stupid. There ain't no other prizes. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. We've heard that lots of times, right? And you hope and you pray that, that, that you know, that that people see other people being being stupid. They learn their lesson. They say, hey, if I waste my life, nothing's ever going to amount to anything. Nothing will ever come of it. And you hope that people see that and they say, hey, I'm, I think I'll spend my time getting wisdom from God rather than just being foolish. That's what you hope you pray for. Uh, but but then again, it's up to the person. It ain't It ain't up to the one trying to get them to see. Again, the foolishness of fools is folly. And young King Solomon, he illustrates the truth in the first part of the proverb, again, and he asked for wisdom, and God was so pleased, along with that wisdom, what did he do? He gave him also power, and he also gave him wealth. First Kings chapter 3, verse 7 through 13, And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. He actually was a grown man, but he felt like a little child, I guess. I know not how to go in or come. I go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. 
Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked for the life the life of thy enemies, but it asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy works. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so there is none like thee before thee, none shall thee. After thee shall any arise like unto thee, and I also have given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like thee all thy days. God blessed him with wisdom because that's what he sought after. He wasn't trying to get what he could get out of this world. He said, Lord, i got to have wisdom because i got to rule your people, and I don't know what I'm doing. Boy, I tell you what, that's a smart man right there. That was a smart man that said that to God. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. And I and, and I, you've asked this of me. You've asked a great task of me. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. Me getting up in this pulpit, I feel the very same way. God, you've asked a great task of me. And I and I feel very much ill-prepared every time I get behind the pulpit. And I know and it ain't just me. It's every other preacher who, who knows who he is and who God is. Every one of us get behind his pulpit and tremble because we we don't want to fail God. And I say every one of us. There's some that makes a, makes merchandise out of the pulpit. But those who are honestly in the pulpit for the right reasons, you know, again, you know, you know, you you could fail God very easy if you try to do things on your own and in your own power and your own strength. So again, you want wisdom. You want God's wisdom. You crave God's wisdom. You pray for God's wisdom. And you know. And God is good, amen, and God is a giver, and God is generous, and God is a liberal giver with his, with his wisdom. And, and if you ask him, God will pour it out on you, but you've got to seek it. You've got to go to him and say, God, I need you. I can't figure this life out on my own. I can't figure out how to serve you on my own. I can't figure out how to be a good spouse or how to be a good dad or a good, uh, good mom or a good wife or, or a good friend or a good neighbor. I can't figure out how to do any of this stuff without you. And God will give it. And, you know, the wise person deserves wealth and honor. You know why? Because they know what to do with it. Because God's given them wisdom. The only place wisdom comes from is from God. So God has evidently trusted them with wisdom. And if he trusts them with wisdom, then he'll give them the riches and the honor because they're the ones who can handle it and do right with it. And that person, again, that don't mean that everybody's wise and wealthy either. And that may be because to a wise person, you know, wisdom is more important than money. They're not seeking after money constantly. So uh, every person is wise. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be they're going to be wealthy in this world's wealth, but that doesn't mean they're not wealthy. A wise person works hard, but he doesn't work just to get money. He works hard to get more wisdom. Amen. While he's doing his work, he's trying to learn. Every day's a learning experience. But a fool hates wisdom. A fool don't want to learn anything. He might work to get money, but it's because he has to, and he just he's just stupid, and he just he don't care. He can only he can only earn foolish things because he's a foolish person. But he ought to get to work and earn some wisdom. Verse twenty-five. A true witness delivereth souls. 
but a deceitful witness speaketh lies. We kind of we kind of covered this verse well in chapter five. It almost says the same thing in chapter five, but I want to look at it a, a little more because of how important a verse it is. This is one of many proverbs that contrasts those who tell the truth in legal situations versus those who tell lies in legal situations. Again, we're talking about a witness. This is talking about legal situation. And you you can see that the contrast is a matter of life and death. A true witness delivereth souls, but a deceitful witness speaketh lies, and evidently that, again, that, that that deceitful witness would be damning souls versus delivering souls. An honest man speaks the truth. Proverbs fourteen five, which we studied several weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, it said a faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. You know, you see this a lot in Proverbs. You see that the, that the accurate testimony of witnesses is a major concern to God. That people don't. People can't that people don't are not bribed that people don't take bribes and lie on people and and and, and deceive to get their way or to get ahead or, or or for some kind of profit or something. Um, and it ain't just in Proverbs; it's all through the law too. In Exodus chapter twenty, verse sixteen, it says, "Y'all know what this says: says Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor." It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's pretty important to God that that we don't lie on somebody else. Exodus 23, 1 and 2. Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. That means the rest of the world can, if they're running to evil, you stay put. You're a child of God. You don't follow the, you don't follow the rest of the world. Neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. Don't. Don't join with the mob that wants to go against what's right. We're not to do that. We're to stand with what's right no matter what the rest of the world is trying to do. And the rest of the world is trying to go to hell as fast as it can. And therefore, we've got to stand our ground even if the rest of the world is saying we're a bunch of idiots. It doesn't matter. We stand with God regardless of what goes on around us. Deuteronomy 17.6, at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses, Shall he that is worthy of death be put to death, but at the mouth of one witness shall he not be put to death. <clears throat> See? It, now, hear what, the, hear what I said? It said the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses. Shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. So you had to have two or three witnesses who saw the same thing and stood up and, 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 and said, hey, we saw this man do whatever he did that's worthy of being put to death. But it says at the mouth of one, he shall not be put to death. That's why. Why is that? Because God put that in there because, you know what, one witness can be a false witness and stand up and condemn somebody to death. And you'd have people saying, well, I want this person to die. Well, I'll stand up and say he did such and such. So God God put that in there because, again, a deceitful witness will deliver somebody to death. Verse uh, Chapter 19 of Deuteronomy, verse 15, one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or any sin, or in any sin that he sinneth, at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three shall the matter be established. Again, a faithful witness, you know, he'll, he'll tell somebody if somebody's actions are wrong. He'll show them what is right and wrong. A, a man who speaks lies causes great trouble. But, you know, when I think of a faithful witness, 
again, he'll show somebody what's right and wrong. What does he do? He'll take the Bible and show them what God says about right and wrong. He'll take the Bible and show them what God says about heaven and hell, about sin and righteousness. Amen. A faithful witness will tell the truth and not let somebody go on blindly to hell. People suffer because of, you know what? If, here's the thing, and again, I, I'm not trying to roll record, but I can't, I can't hesitate from saying this. If we have the cure, and by applying the cure, they could be saved, and we hold on to it and keep, a bottle, keep it in a bottle with a stopper in it because of whatever excuse or reason we come up with, and they die and go to hell, is God, going, is God not going to say something to us about that? You had you had you had Jesus, and Jesus would save them, but you wouldn't give them Jesus. Does that make us faithful? I don't think it does. I don't think that makes us faithful witnesses if we don't share the message. Keep on going. Verse twenty-six. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and His children shall have a place of refuge. And we just talked about the fear of the Lord Sunday. I preached on the fear of the Lord Sunday, but I'm just going to touch on it again tonight just a little bit. <clears throat> In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, the Bible says. Chapter 1, verse 7 of Proverbs, all these from Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Again, it's the very beginning. You don't even understand anything until you begin to fear the Lord. You're just like a... You, you, it's like a bullfrog in a hailstorm. You don't know nothing. It's like, what in the world's going on in this world? I don't understand anything. But, boy, when you get to know God, things begin to make sense. You begin to see why things happen the way they happen around you. You begin to see what the plan for this world is. You begin to understand why humanity is the way it is and why things are happening the way they happen to God's people. You begin to understand all this because God's Word tells you these things. The fear of the Lord, the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord is prolongeth days. Amen. The closer we get to God, the more we want to do his will. The more we want to do his will, the more God keeps us around. Because why? Because we're a benefit to him. Proverbs fifteen sixteen. better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Again, it doesn't matter how much I have things-wise in this world. Having God is worth it all. Amen. I mean, there's people in this world that ain't got anything God. And they're some of the happiest people on earth. Because I'm going to tell you, when you got God, you got peace in your life. And I'd rather have peace than have all the things in the world and, and have turmoil in my home. Proverbs 15:33, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. Proverbs 16, 6. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. How do we know what to get away from? How do we know the fear of the Lord tells us? The Spirit of God speaking inside of us, the Word of God telling us, and the Spirit of God working with the Word of God and showing us to get away from things and stay stay close to God and stay pure from the evil that's around you. The fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Proverbs nineteen twenty three: the fear of the Lord tendeth to life. Walk with God, you're going to have a better chance at living a lot longer. And he that hath it shall abide satisfied. I'd like to have a satisfied life. Amen? I like that. I listen... I don't want for the things of this world. Praise God. You know what? I really don't. I, I, I don't sit around lusting over things that I don't have. I'm thankful for what I have. I'm thankful that God's blessed me, and I've been blessed by God. God I, could, I could stand up here and name you things that God has blessed me with that I didn't ask for, that God's put in my life, and I'm extremely thankful for. 
things that I would have asked for if I was smart enough to ask for them, but God knew I needed it before even I knew. Um, and the Bible says that he shall abide satisfied. Amen? That's a good thing. When, you ain't, when you're not sitting there scratching and clawing to get things that you ain't got, and you can be happy with what God's blessed you with, that's a good thing. Amen? That's a tremendous blessing. Proverbs 22, 4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Again, it may not be material wealth, but but by living a humble life and, and honoring in the fear of the Lord, the Bible says you're a rich man. And, and you know what? There's honor in that. There's honor in serving God and living for God, not worrying about what this world thinks and what this world does. There's honor and there's life, and God promises life. It, it, this proverb announces the benefits that come to those who fear the Lord. How do they do it? By placing themselves in their proper, subservient position to the Lord, not trying to get up above him and tell him what to do or what you're going to do, but by, by serving God and letting him have control of your life instead of you having control. Listen, that's how we get under those protections, by yielding and, 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 and serving the Lord and submitting ourselves unto God and resisting the devil. And then the second colon of this, uh, of this verse, this passage, praise God, it promises the protections to extend even out to the believer's children. Listen to what it says there. It says, and his children should have a place of refuge. How do they have a place of refuge? Well, as long as they're under our roof, they have the protection that God puts over us until they step out from under our roof and then they're on their own. But, but God, God, looks up, God looks over a righteous man's children. God looks over a righteous woman's children. We have their, our prayers covering them as long as they're under our roof. And praise God for that. And, and again, a man who's, who lives his life in such a way as to chase after God and not after the things of this world, a man who lives his life satisfied with what God's put in his life, he's teaching invaluable lessons to his children so as not for them to not get caught up into the, into the, the, the ravenous uh, lust for this world that so many are caught up in. So if one fears the Lord, then they don't have to fear anything or anybody else, and that's the truth. Proverbs, I'm sorry, Psalm 46, 1 through 3, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Now, you picture that happening in your mind. That means the earth's going to blow up and be gone, and I, and I don't understand that the, the, it seemed like the earth was gone, the mountains wouldn't matter, would it? But it says, though the, the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, and I just, you just picture the Rocky Mountains breaking loose and everything just going out into the water. God says, if though all those things take place, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, David said, I'm not going to be afraid. Why? Because God's in control. God's my refuge. Amen? So I don't work. You say, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? I've been hearing people say that my whole life. But you know what? God still takes care of us in spite of all our questions and all our doubts and all our fears. God still makes a way, don't he? We we worry, we fret, we chew our fingernails, we freak out. We don't know what we're going to, how we're going to handle this, what we're going to, how we're going to make it through that. Uh, you know, every day it's something new. But we just keep on going, don't we? Somehow, by God's grace, we just keep on going. 
Amen. We just trust the Lord and God will keep us going. Amen. He is our refuge and our strength and our present help in trouble. He protects people who respect and love him. And even their families can benefit from watching mom and dad and how they follow the Lord. Verse 27, i got to hurry. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. So again, the fear of the Lord is mentioned again. It continues on here, the same theme from the previous verse. Here it's compared to a fountain of life. Proverbs 10, 11 says, The mouth of the righteous man is a well of life, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. I read that and I said, no, wait a minute, a well and a fountain. Hold on, two different things. But then again, I remember. How's, how's a well get fed? It's spring fed. There's a spring that feeds into it. There's a fountain feeding into a well, or the well wouldn't keep filling back up. So again, the mouth of the righteous, a man is a well of life. Again, where's it springing from somewhere? Where's it coming from? It's coming from the Lord. Proverbs 13, 4. The law of the wise is a fountain of life. Amen. Whose law is that? That's God's law. That means that wise man is speaking God's word. And the, and the Bible calls that a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. So again, the fear of the Lord. A person who fears the Lord is going to be speaking God's words. Is going to be talking about the one who has put his fear into him and the one he respects and reveres. Proverbs 16, 22. Understanding. It's a wellspring of life unto him that hath it. Amen. Listen, it keeps feeding him. It keeps feeding him. It keeps pouring in fresh understanding. God, God, no matter what he goes through, no matter what day he gets up on, no matter what problem he faces, God, God's word will give you understanding. God's word will help you through circumstances and situations of life. Like a, it'll just keep feeding into you. God never quits. Amen. We're his child. A parent doesn't just quit on their child because they come to them with a new problem. No, that parent puts their head to it and they figures out how to help them and they help their child. God's so much better than we are. And when we come to him as his child and we, we, and we, we say, Lord, I love you and I need your help, God says, well, fine, I'll pour whatever you need into your life to depart from the snares of death. And again, a fountain. A fountain is a fitting metaphor for life. Since its contrast is a stagnant pool of water. I was thinking about old stagnant mud puddle with moss growing on top, mosquitoes, babies dance around in it. Listen, wouldn't nobody want to drink out of that? Amen. Maybe the cow's been going to the bathroom in it. You can see that old oily, greasy uh, film on the top of it. You know what I'm talking about. Nasty sewer water. Don't nobody want to get in that. That's death. You talk about drinking that, that's death in that water. Nastiness versus a flowing stream coming up out of an artesian well. Cool, clean, been coming up through the rocks and quartz crystal and everything else in the world. And I mean, you talk about fresh and clean, full of minerals from the earth versus that stagnant pool. I want what God has, not what this world has. This world's got a stagnant pool for you to drink from. God's word is constant flowing fountain. It also gives us the idea of an abundance of life that flows from the fear of the Lord. The life associated with the fear of the Lord is contrasted in the second half of this with the snares of death. The death traps is what it is. It's a death trap. It doesn't make specific what those means of death is, but throughout the book, foolishness is associated with death. If you live like a fool, you're going to end up paying for it. Uh, last verse, and we'll, we'll end up here tonight. Verse 28. In the multitude of people is the king's honor. 
but in the want of people is the destruction of the prince. In the multitude of people is the king's honor. You know, a king that doesn't have much of a nation isn't much of a king. You had a king of Dimple out here north of town. Wouldn't be much of a king, would he? He got married in people of Dimple. You had a king, a king of Magoda. He wouldn't be much of a king, would he? So what it's trying to say is that, you know, in order for a king to be a mighty king, he's got to have a mighty people behind him. And that's the, that seems to be the what the meaning of, the, of this observation is. Maybe the purpose of the proverb is to encourage the king to implement things to promote life among his people. Because it says, you know, in the multitude of people, the king's honor. So you'd, you'd want the king to, to promote things in his kingdom to help the people to live, right? That's a novel idea. Doing good for the people of your nation in order to have a more powerful nation. It's amazing if people did that in America. Instead of trying to destroy our nation and try to build our nation back up, it would be amazing. But too often, kings attack their own people out of insecurity or, or in the interest of gaining controlling power. And I really believe that's what we're seeing in America. We're seeing a, a government who's they're, they're, they're basically it's a big laundering, money laundering business right now. And the Ukraine is the washing machine. And, uh, and, and you know, and in the meantime, they're selling everything out to China to let them take over eventually. And, you know, again, they're not looking to build up this nation. They're not looking to have a great nation. Uh, you know, you'd think they'd be in favor of the people of the nation having more children in order to boost the population to have a bigger army, but instead they're in favor of killing as many babies as they possibly can. So, again, this verse doesn't apply to America. It's backwards from the way things are in America. Um, kings with large populations are able to have full armies and achieve more influence and more power in the world. That ain't happening here. I'm just going to be frank and as straight up with you as I can be. Russia and China and nations around on the other side of the world, they're, they're figuring out how to come up with strategies and battle plans. And our country is trying to figure out how to put he, she's, and uniforms on battlefields. Uh, we're trying. They're trying to. They're trying to worry about how to how to how to cater to everybody's soft, sensitive feelings, since don't nobody know whether they're male or female halfway anymore. So, our nation's in trouble, and and this verse tells me so. Um, you know, we got to pray for our country. Our country's in such a mess. <clears throat> Those in power are seeking every way they can to weaken our nation, not to strengthen it. They're trying to destroy everything we got. They try and take down all of the all of the uh, all of the principles, all of the all of the things our country was built upon. They're trying to destroy it, and uh, I'm as patriotic as the next guy I am. But I realize something. I realize my hope does not lie in America. My hope's not here. My hope's in heaven. Hey, Amen. This is this is not. I mean, I again. This this is not my home. I'm just passing through here. I'm just a I'm just a temporary visitor here, and soon I'll be moving to my permanent residence, and nothing happened out here will matter to me anymore. And I, I'm 
I'm very grateful tonight that my hope doesn't lie in this world. My hope doesn't lie in in senile presidents or corrupt congresses or, or, or corrupt senates or anybody else or corrupt supreme courts or corrupt judges. Thank God. My, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy lean on Jesus' name. I don't trust in this world and the things of this world. Praise God, but I'm telling you right now, but read the Bible, I can tell you that America's in trouble. America's sinking fast, and God's judgment's on her. And I tell you, I, I say to you tonight as a church, and I say to you tonight as whoever's listening in to us, we need to be praying and praying hard for God to confuse the enemy, for God to turn the enemy backwards and for God to spare us and give us more time because it's, time, it's clock ticking down. Let's stand together tonight. Let's, we need to spend some time in prayer before we go to the house tonight. We need to pray for our country and pray for our children, pray for our homes, pray for families in this community, pray for people that are looking for a church, pray for people that are not looking for a church, pray for people that are hurting tonight because there are people all around us that are hurting. And I'm not just saying physically hurting. I'm saying there are people all around us that are hurting spiritually. They're hurting because somebody's lied to them somewhere. They're hurting some church somewhere. Uh, they don't know where to go to find proof. they got all kinds of problems, and they don't have no answers. There are people. There are literally people all around us who are begging for help, and they don't know where to turn. And you and I have answers. We need to pray, and we need to put feet to our prayers. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, I just want to come to you. Lord, my heart's headed. Lord, I know there's a world around us while we sit here tonight and read your word and study your word. I know there's a world around us that needs what we have. I know there's a world around us that needs Jesus. I know there's a world around us that's dying without Christ. And they don't want to go to hell forever. They don't want ever be another chance. Lord, we have, we have an answer. Lord, we, we, we've already been delivered from, from what they're still suffering from. Father God, we, we've gotten so used to being saved, Lord, I think we've forgotten what it's like to be lost. Lord, I pray you burden our hearts afresh. And Lord, put people in our hearts and on our minds that need you. Make us spiritually aware, soul conscious, Lord, give us the mind of Christ to see the hurting people and feel the need in people and have compassion and reach out and try to do something make a difference in somebody's life. Help us to not be selfish. Help us to not be so concerned with ourselves that we can't see others in their needs. Father, help us. Please, Lord, give us this wisdom that we're, that we're trying to absorb and, and help us to apply it in our lives around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Y'all have a good evening. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.